Hello and welcome to Fresh Air. I'm Joe. I'm Dave. I'm Chris. And I'm Andy. And tonight we are going to be discussing belief, knowledge and truth and how they interact. As with all the shows, we should start with our definitions. So belief is a proposition you believe to be true. Or you could even frame it slightly differently, something you accept to be true. This doesn't define whether the belief is rational or not. It doesn't define its strength. It simply demonstrates a positive attitude towards a particular proposition. For example, I believe Yahweh is real and I believe the bridge won't collapse as I go over it are both valid uses of the word belief. Similarly, a disbelief is a negative attitude towards a particular proposition which then forms a positive attitude to the inverse. For example, you could say, I don't believe or I disbelieve in Yahweh, and it's the same as saying, I believe Yahweh is not real. There's also lacking belief, and that's another matter entirely, and we'll cover that later. Next, we have knowledge, which is facts, information, and skills acquired through experience or education. Like a belief, it's something we would believe to be true, but knowledge is something we know to be true or false. Knowledge, in fact, is firmer than a belief. If you know something is true, you should be able to demonstrate it, at least in some way. And lastly, we have truth. Truth is the quality or state of being true. It's something that is true or in accordance with a fact or reality. And sometimes you might accept something that is true, and it might not be. Truth is generally considered to be quite a binary thing. Either it is true or it's not. A one-zero proposition. That sounds right to me. An easier definition for truth, though, is a proposition that accurately reflects that which it attempts to describe. So do you have an example of something that we could throw in there for our audience? Bruce Wayne is Batman, just to confuse the issue a little. <laughs> I suppose it gets a little bit more complicated if you're making a true statement about a fictional thing. Because truth is a statement, it's the context of the statement that matters. So if I say Bruce Wayne is Batman... That's true, because Bruce Wayne is Batman, even though he's a fictional character. But if I was to say Gotham actually exists in reality, and Bruce Wayne is Batman in Gotham, it becomes a false statement. Each proposition is taken on its own merit in a particular context. So there's a contextual element to truth as well. I suppose if we circle back round to beliefs and cover that in a little bit more detail, we have rational, irrational, and irrational beliefs. Dave, could you cover off the definitions of those for us, please? A rational belief is a belief that is reasonable. It's held, and it's logical, and it follows probability theory. It's a good belief that's supported by logic, basically. An irrational belief is a, a belief that's not supported by logic or probability theory. And an irrational belief is a belief that doesn't require rationality to be true so something like i like the taste of chocolate therefore i believe chocolate is tasty it's not something that you've come to rationally or it can't even be irrational because you like the taste of chocolate so i suppose there we're going uh, irrational is more of a subjective belief could you say yeah i guess so I have a quick question for part of the definition that you used. Um, I know that I've always used it this way, but I don't know if it is. Is reasonable 
synonymous with rational or are they slightly different things? They're synonymous. There's a slight difference, but you might as well say they're synonymous. So essentially, rational or reason, it's logic and I suppose an element of evidence and the the process that you take for something. So I suppose when it comes down to it, we often hear people say that belief in God is irrational. But is that always the case? It's the supporting arguments that make it rational or irrational. In the case of God, you can't um, show that it's true or false. You can show particular concepts to be true or false, but it's the actual arguments supporting God that would be irrational or irrational, rather than the actual belief God exists. You could also tally that back to what we were discussing last week about scepticism, where somebody could have a more rational or reasonable belief in God if they're more ignorant of certain things than it being more irrational once they are more learned and researched in those things which disprove the position. I suppose that ties into you're three years old and your parents tell you about God and you believe God is true because your parents tell you that God is true and you believe your parents. And that is not only a a fallacy in the sense that it's an appeal to authority, although you're really at three years old, not that aware, but also there's no real reason behind it. It's just they said it's true, so it is. Or if you live in a place where your school teaches you creationism and you never learn about evolution, you it would be a more rational conclusion to believe in the Bible than if you were taught about evolution and things like that. So I suppose if you are in a Bible Belt state or similar and you are brought up with these ridiculous concepts that we have to battle on the internet quite often. I suppose from their perspective, it's what everyone believes around them and it's what they've been taught. So in their head, they are being rational and it doesn't help to call them irrational. What we need to do is try and educate them more. But if you are demonstrated that what you feel is rational and what you've come to as a rational belief and given enough evidence to show that actually, no, the world is not created in six days and that is not the order of creation, even if you try and justify the six days not being actual physical days and actually, yeah, the sun was created, well, created is the wrong word, but the sun uh, was born before the earth Oh yeah, then you have to conclude that what you believed was rational is actually irrational, even though you reached that conclusion originally through the information that you had access to. I still think that would be an argument uh, argument for authority, because you're believing the teachers when they say this is the truth, or this is what actually happened. That's a good point, but... Where does all of our knowledge really come from, especially at a younger age? Oh, no, I agree. Well, that's one of the arguments in the rationality debate. We may impose too strong of the framework on human thought when we expect something to be reasonable or rational. We can only expect somebody to be as reasonable or rational as they are able to be. If we expect perfect thinking all the time then we are expecting too much. So in the case of a five-year-old, that would be 
perfectly rational for the five-year-old because they haven't acquired critical thinking skills or anything like that. They are being as reasonable and rational as they are able to be. But if someone's been to a creationist school, they will have never acquired critical thinking skills. So as an adult, believing the world was created in six days, as stated in the Bible and the bats at birds and all those other ridiculous things that are in there, is potentially as rational as they can be because they have got to adulthood without ever that questioning feeling that plenty of sceptics had at some point. I would say that's highly unlikely. It's unlikely that you're going to reach adulthood without coming across arguments against God or claims that God does not exist in a secular society, unless you're Amish. But if you're in the Bible Belt, it is very, very not secular. Uh, not all of it, of course. I mean, there are plenty of states in America that are quite secular. In fact, it, it can differ from town to town, as it can anywhere. But there are definitely some places, and in fact entire states, that they are governed more by their religion than anything else. On that note, though, we both know at least one person who, from the old DGE days, who was a very, very, very firm Christian who believed in creationism and came around to being one of the atheists that I respect the most, which was Fiala from Nigeria, which is a very, very faith-led country. And what do you think inspired that for him? Do you think it was the internet or something else? According to him, which is all I've really got to go by, it was the way that we handled debate with him. And instead of being combative and insulting, because he was obviously intelligent and willing to learn, we took him through the steps, we gave him the links to the information, and he admitted to himself at some point that his previous belief was irrational. I, I was, I'm suddenly not believing this. I can't believe you're in a debate and not being combative, Chris. <laughs> there are times and places for every approach. <laughs> I jest, of course. Well, the other thing as well is, as you get older, it's not just the information that speaks of your ability to reason and be rational. You actually just get better at it as your gra uh, brain grows and you start using those facilities more. So do you think there's a point in everyone's life where regardless of how insular their society is, they should reach a point where they go, hang on a minute. I personally don't think that would happen to everyone. I think some people are, are quite closed up when it comes to things like this and they just refuse to um, to kind of look into other things because this is the way that they've been taught and that's the way it's going to be. I think there's something else as well. I forget what the name for it is, but there's a time, I think, in our teenage years where we shed grey matter which hasn't been useful to us. So if we are in a school system where we're taught critical thinking and that becomes helpful and useful, then we'll start to shed the pathways which go against critical thinking and rationality. Whereas if we're raised in a place where we don't get that and we have the fallacies and everything forced upon us more and more, we'll keep those for longer and longer and miss out on the opportunity to shed them at that time in our life. Literally use it or lose it. Exactly. That's interesting, actually. It sounds similar to something that... Um, I've got a friend who's a psychotherapist, and he was explaining to me that there are 
different cognitive stages in uh, human development. So you've got your sort of your baby development. And once that's done, that bit is locked off. And then you've got your early childhood and then your mid childhood and your adulthood. He was talking about, for example, if someone has been present throughout a particular stage for a consistent period through one of those stages in their life. And then once they've moved past that part, they will always be locked in as part of that stage of their life. So I wonder if that ties into the whole shedding thing that you're you're speaking about. It could very well do, yeah. I believe it's a very definite stage. I'm unfortunately half remembering because I was listening to something about it quite a while ago. It might not even be grey matter, but it is some pathways in the brain. There is a stage, I think, in our teenage years where it starts to just get rid of the things which aren't being used and aren't useful anymore. I think this is a great topic to come back to. And actually, I have been trying to get him to come on to uh, the podcast with us because I figured it would be very nice to have a very different take on things from a, a, a psychotherapist. So more on the psychology side of things, uh, looking at the behaviours that we all demonstrate. And he might not even chime in that much. And I would love us to have a show on debate and the behaviours that people demonstrate online to really get him up uh, and really get him up. <laughs> Easy. Uh, yes. Um, I'm, I'm not sure where to go from there. Um, but I think it would be, I think it would be great to have him on the show and discuss these things with us and give a different perspective. So hopefully in the future we can come to it and we can maybe bring that question up, but I, I feel that we are definitely veering way away from our, our topic here. To bring it back to focus, we were talking about critical thinking skills and how if you haven't really used them up to a certain point in childhood or adulthood, you may not actually have that faculty. I suppose there could also be a genetic component as well. Is there any chance that someone is predisposed to being a cheap, for want of a better word? I was just going to bring up something similar in that one of the reasons that the rationality debate declares that we should only expect people to be able to reason as well as they can is because of a genetic component like built-in cognitive biases and problems like that within our own minds. Going with rational and irrational, if someone is as rational as they can be, what do we achieve by pointing out they are irrational? Nothing. Exactly. And wouldn't it be better to say... Actually, I don't think you're thinking quite clearly here, and I think you might be coming to a sort of a wrong conclusion. You're more likely to get them to listen to you than going, oh, you're irrational. I suppose it depends how irrational they are as well, though. We don't necessarily want to say you're wrong. We might want to go more Socratically and go, what makes you think that? How about this? Have you considered that? And lead them to a conclusion that you know that they're hopefully going to get to. Uh, I don't know, maybe that's a better way to demonstrate it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say basically as well. Because although we may find them irrational, they still are likely to have been rational in their ability to get to the conclusion. So instead of just saying, you're irrational, what we need to do is say, okay, Take me through the steps that you went through to get to your conclusion. And then 
when they get to a step which is demonstrably wrong or incorrect, then we can point that out to them and hopefully, as you say, walk them through to a better conclusion. I agree. That's the best way to go about it. I suppose we'll always encounter people who are either too irrational or too tribal to change their mind, or it could just be that they just don't respect us uh, when we're trying to walk them to that path. And it's understandable. I can understand that, say, a creationist would... It's similar to a conspiracy theorist. Anyone that is going to say anything that, well, actually the evidence says this against your belief was part of the the, the satan tribe or or whatever in the same way that you'll get an anti-vaxxer who'll go well no this one article out of a million backs me up so anyone who disagrees i'd love to see that article (laughs) (laughs) one of the problems we're always going to have is when people start attaching emotional weight to conclusions because it doesn't matter what rational argument you have against it you're not then attacking their conclusion or challenging their conclusion you're attacking or challenging them is how they will see it and that's not an approach to get people to change their mind yeah absolutely you can imagine like like you say people in the bible belt that have have grown up and this is all they know this is all um, they've been taught throughout their whole life and they could have never done anything wrong never been in trouble with the law so they to them they're good people it's just that their their beliefs differ to, to someone. And then some spotty neckbeard kid, atheist, on the internet says, uh, yeah, that's not right. They're, they're going to take offence to that. Yeah, you're challenging the very foundation of what they've built their reality upon. I suppose that comes back to identity, doesn't it? If you're you're challenging someone's identity. And you even notice it with particular atheists. I mean, for me, atheism is just a position on one topic. But there are some people who are all about atheism. And they make it a whole thing. And all of a sudden, anyone who challenges that is the same way. And you get the same defensive responses from them as you would attacking a creationist for their six-day belief. That was probably me up until a couple of years ago. Oh, definitely. I I think I was very similar myself. I think when I first left DGE, it was because I realised I was as bad as the theists and I needed a break and I needed to calm down. And we were still doing the whole answers in reason thing at that time. And it was all very fun. And I enjoyed getting my thoughts out there. But I realized that I was not behaving in a way that would, one, convince my opponent and two, was any good for me to do. And make Jesus proud. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, and, and back to your comment on emotion as well. I mean, emotions, and this is a sweeping statement that I don't think is necessarily 100% accurate, but emotions in general are not rational or reasonable. Well, no, they haven't evolved to be so. That's not their purpose. It's not even the same part of the brain where they form. No, and there are plenty of times where I go, I feel this way about this. I know it's wrong. I know it's ridiculous. Logically, this is what I need to do. But right now, I'm fucked off about it, so I need some time to calm down, and then I will do the thing that I know is the right thing to do. So that's like any phobia, basically. Yeah, well, phobias are completely irrational fears. Yeah, I suppose it's quite... So you could logically say, there's no reason for me to be scared of X, 
yet I'm terrified of it. Well, that is the definition of a phobia. It's an irrational fear. You know, for example, spiders is a very common one. And especially in the UK, there aren't any poisonous spiders, but still plenty of people are scared of them. Can I just say it's venomous? Yes, you are correct. Venomous. Thank you for the correction. Actually, I was correct in what I said. There are no poisonous spiders anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, thinking about it. You go and eat one of each type and tell me how it goes. Mate, you eat seven in a lifetime, or is that a myth? Is that something that I've irrationally believed? (laughs) (laughs) That's something you were probably taught at a very young age and never questioned. Damn appeal to authority. (laughs) So we've covered belief now. Belief's a pretty simple thing, isn't it, really? It's just a proposition that we think is true. They can be rational or irrational, but they don't necessarily have to be true. So should we move on to truth? Because that's got a little bit more substance to it. I think that there's a point of belief that we haven't covered yet that not all of us definitely agree upon, which is withholding of belief. And if you don't accept something to be true necessarily means that you believe the inverse. That's an excellent point. Okay, yeah, so let's go with that. So obviously there are different ways you can look at belief. And obviously you believe something is true. So, for example, I believe God exists. That is a positive belief, uh, something I believe to be true. Now, the other side of it is I don't believe God exists. That then becomes an inverse proposition of I believe gods do not exist, at least when you're speaking through the terms of philosophy. Now, I know you don't agree with that, Chris, so go. As far as I'm concerned... And I'm not up with specific definitions on where they all come from. But as far as I'm concerned, a belief claim is a claim of truth. If you say, I believe something, you are making essentially a truth claim. Now, if I say, I don't believe in God, that doesn't mean I'm saying, I believe it's true that no gods exist. I can just be in the position where I don't have enough information to believe a truth claim in either direction. But what you're moving into there is a more agnostic position. So I agree that belief is not necessarily a binary position, but if you have your positive belief and then you have your negative belief, so I believe or I disbelieve, that disbelief becomes the inverse one. But you might have someone who is actually like, well, no, I I don't have enough information to make a decision either way. I don't know what I believe on the subject. I lack belief in the positive and the negative. So that would then be, I am agnostic to this particular belief. But that person still does not believe in God. I absolutely agree with uh, Chris. I think saying God doesn't exist is still a rejection of the claim God exists. Uh, I saying I don't know if uh, God exists is still disbelief. It's still not a positive claim for that. Saying God doesn't exist is a rejection of the claim still, and it's not a another positive claim because you can't prove what doesn't exist. If that makes sense. See, I'm even in a different position to that. I think saying that God does not, or I believe God does not exist is still a truth claim. But as was stated before, having an agnostic an agnostic position where you're saying, I don't have enough information to believe that God does exist or 
believe that God does not exist, that person still doesn't believe that God exists. So saying, I don't believe God exists, does not necessitate believing that God does not. It is that agnostic position, but saying, I don't believe that God exists, is neutral. Think about it as a mathematical equation, if you will. Think of the two propositions, right? I believe God exists, right? So that's a, a, a one for the belief or, or, or a zero for you don't believe. So then you've got another one where I believe gods do not exist. And again, you've got a one for that claim and a zero for that. Now, if you don't believe gods exist... And again, you've got your, your ones and zeros, your pluses and negative. I wish I could write this out for you uh, in the same way. But if you balance the equation, I don't believe gods exist is the same as I believe gods do not exist. It's just where you're putting the word. But you even said that that's not the case. You said that withholding a belief is an agnostic position where you don't have enough information to say, I believe one or I believe the other. That agnostic position still does not believe that God exists. True? Uh, it, it is, but it, it's on both. So we've got those two positions there. Okay, so if we have the classical definition of a theist, which is the, the, the belief that gods exist or God exists, whatever you want, a form of deity exists. And then you've got the atheist position, which is I believe gods do not exist, right? And then what you have there is the agnostic that goes, I haven't got enough information to say either one of those propositions is true. I don't believe either of them is true. So I do not believe gods exist, but I do not believe gods do not exist either. Which is exactly my point. But if I say I don't believe gods exist, that's the same as saying I believe gods do not exist. No, you literally just said that the agnostic position is saying I do not believe that gods exists and I also don't believe that gods do not exist. So you are saying that... But they don't believe either proposition, that's the point. They don't believe either proposition to be true or false, that's the point. They're, when, you, when you're speaking theologically, the agnostic position is the complete on the fence, I don't know either way. It's like with the gumball analogy. If we're both stood in front of a gumball machine, you point at it and say, there's an odd number of gumballs in there, and I say, I don't believe you, it doesn't necessitate me thinking or believing that there's an even number. Why not? Because I don't know either way, so I don't believe either way. Can I just jump in here one sec? Of course. What's happening here is there's a muddle going on between the terminology. In logic, it's P or not P. So it's, I believe gods do not exist, and I believe gods exist. What you're describing when you say, I don't believe in God, I don't believe gods exist in the agnostic state, you're describing a psychological state rather than a logical proposition. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So it's sort of a category error. In logic terms, you have withheld belief. You have not accepted P or not P. You have simply withheld judgment on that proposition. When you say, I don't believe gods exist in the psychological state, you're describing something different. So you're both correct. You're just talking about different ways of looking at it. Essentially, I think what Chris is doing is more the 
the lack belief position. Am, am I correct in, in saying that? Yeah, essentially. Which is... Yeah, and you're describing the psychological state when you're saying, I don't believe. But logically speaking, it's that you're withholding belief on a proposition. I can get behind that. So I suppose that's that's one of the issues that, that with the whole lack belief definition of atheism is we go back to the whole withholding belief and that fits in more with the agnostic position rather than the atheist position. I know it's a modern definition and I'm not telling anyone not to use it or anything like that, but it's more of a... If we think about it logically, I don't believe is the same as I believe this is not. But as Chris was saying, psychologically he doesn't believe, but that's more withholding or lacking belief in said proposition. Yeah, and this gets back to how we were saying last week, I believe, that we often have some form of disagreement and quite often find out it's because we're valuing a different approach to the other person which is a good way to get decent conversation. Or, as we said last week as well, it comes down to semantics as well. And, it's yeah, as we said, right there, it's a different approach. And I think we've come to realise the logic that we approached it with. And, in a way, we're both right. But if we're approaching it one way or the other, there are different terminologies that we should be using. So, basically, in the future, whenever the two of us have a disagreement, we need a Dave. <laughs> I only charge £10 an hour. It's lucky we've got you on WhatsApp then, isn't it? <laughs> Most people don't think about these things very deeply. Do you know what I mean? It's I'm just lucky in that I've studied philosophy, so we look at the different things. We look at descriptive and normative, basically. And I suppose with all sorts of topics, there is that that descriptive and normative sense that you you can take on them there are going to be people listening i'm definitely not one of them by the way who don't know what descriptive and normative mean please explain for them no they can go <laughs> back and listen to episode three <laughs> descriptive describes how things are normative describes how things should be always worth remembering joe every podcast is someone's first Oh, I know that, but I was just trying to goad them into going back and listening to a previous one, you know. And everybody should, because we're awesome. <laughs> but yeah, and going back to what we were just discussing, that that's one of the reasons why I still stick to the atheist, theist, agnostic distinctions, because it, it kind of makes things that little bit clearer and that little bit easier to discuss, especially when talking about things like, I do not believe in God. Like with the common meme with the four squares, which puts theism on one axis and Gnosticism on the other. Yeah, basically. It lacks the kind of clarity that just simply having the agnostic stance has. And plus, Gnosticism is also a branch of theology. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a, a sect of... Was that a pun? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there, there is Gnostics that are religious people, and it describes a religious sect who believe that they have esoteric knowledge into God and so forth. So when you say Gnostic atheist, it's sort of a bit muddled. Yeah, I suppose it's the difference between going with classical definitions of words and actual structure of words for definition yeah it's just making sure that you're kind of clued up with how everybody is using particular terms 
it's why I generally spend that little bit of time in the beginning making sure that I'm understanding their definitions and stuff like that. Otherwise, semantic arguments ensue, as previously demonstrated. Exactly, and I'm far too lazy to get into discussions like that. Yeah, semantics is a bitch. It happens all the fucking time. Yeah, it's exactly. There are so many different ways of valuing how words work, but semantic disagreements are just always going to come up. It's just being able to recognize it is important, and then, as you did, being able to determine the different usages and how they apply. Yeah, exactly. It comes with practice. You know, anybody who actually starts thinking about these things and learning about these things will pick it up pretty quickly. I think one of the one of the examples that I quite like to use instead of the uh, the gumball one is the um, the jury one. You got someone on the stand who's being accused of something, and a guilty verdict would be a positive. The jury aren't looking to find him innocent; they're looking to find him not guilty rather than innocent. Yeah, that makes sense. Just because they're not guilty doesn't mean they're innocent. It goes There's back just to not enough evidence to to give a guilty verdict. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And again, that goes down to framing, how a particular term is used and why it's used and what it means. I think people can really think a bit simplistically most of the time. Heuristics, basically. Our brains are high-powered, low-energy systems. So they try to be as lazy as possible, and everybody suffers from that, especially me. Yep. (laughs) It's just efficient to try and make shortcuts. Exactly. Uh, And our brain does it naturally, and that's why it's, especially in a philosophical discussion or, you know, a discussion like this, it's best to just spend those extra couple of seconds making sure you're not talking past each other. I, I don't just mean in this podcast either, I just mean in general. So Dave, I mean, realistically speaking, how would you, if you were having a discussion online and you noticed that someone was for example, like the person that we had on one of the Answers in Reason posts who said, I don't believe gods exist is different to I believe gods do not exist. How would you actually get them to realise that in a normative sense that is exactly what it means? I would just explain the difference, I guess. I would explain that there's two categories of looking at a belief. There's the psychological, and then there's the way that things should be done philosophically or, you know, however. And just spend that little bit of time making sure that they know that there is an actual distinction. But not everybody is going to listen to you, I guess. I suppose it depends on if they are determined to be right or determined to learn but equally if you realize they are speaking in a more descriptive sense is there an element of humility that say we could say is like well now i understand when you're speaking of this you mean xyz so from what you are saying you are technically correct however if they're if you're looking at this in this way perhaps a strict logical language process would say if you reject a then you believe b Mm, i don't know i don't know it would have to be done on a case-by-case basis because like you said um people could just be wanting to be right so they're not going to listen to you but 
basically just stop and say, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions when you're speaking about such and such? Are you speaking about it in this way? Because the way I'm speaking about it is in this other way. I suppose it's where a lot of tension can actually be produced online, even if someone is discussing, say, a philosophical concept that should be discussed in a normative way they're approaching it in a descriptive way and actually you know they're they're so stuck in their descriptive approach to it that they won't necessarily listen that there could be a normative approach to it yeah that sounds about right but i mean you could say that about a million different things going back to what we were discussing earlier about being brought up a certain way and you come to think of that way as correct, or say you're stuck in an echo chamber and everybody is feeding you positive reinforcement that you have got it right, you're sort of, that's the way your synapses fire then, I guess. I suppose it can be quite hard then, actually, if we're, we're still on the subject of belief, that people can be discussing beliefs in different ways and approaching them from different methodologies, not necessarily have the cognitive elements where they can be rational, at least in the terms that you understand it. They believe they're being rational and they do not have those critical thinking skills. All in all, that there are actually just some people who you can never have a true rational conversation with about their beliefs. Yeah, I would say so. But that probably counts for political beliefs, religious beliefs, superstitions, mm. pretty much anything. Oh yeah, I wasn't limiting that to religious belief. It's uh, it's just because that tied into everything we were discussing up until now. I think you're, you're right. Any belief can fall into one of these categories and be approached different ways. And it does come down to the person discussing them. Yeah, pretty much. It goes back to what Chris was saying about how some beliefs can become personality traits. So you're seen as attacking them rather than their argument. Yeah, I, I mean, that is definitely, definitely, definitely true. Especially, I find, with fundamentalists. And that is fundamentalists on both sides of the theism. I, I There are fundamentalist atheists as well as fundamentalist Christians, Muslims, etc. And, and it does become part of their identity, part of their personality. And anything that you say against that is suddenly an attack on them rather than an attack on the topic. Funnily enough, the one other area of things which go in that way is so opposed or so different to religion is music. Isn't music far more subjective, though? Oh, absolutely. But the way that people attach it to their personality in the same way. Where... Oh, yeah, like I'm a metler or something like that. Yeah, and it gets a very, very, very similar emotional reaction, even though it's significantly less important to whether a god does or doesn't exist, really. But then that's humans in general. We are tribal in nature, and we find a tribe one way or another, and especially when you're younger at school, music is one of those key things to find a tribe, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And equally, you can be irrational. I mean, when I was younger, I became a metalhead at, at, at about the age of, of 14, 15. And I was properly into my metal and a, a bit of punk as well. And I would not listen to anything that wasn't. And I listened to stuff that was different beforehand. And I listen to such a wide variety now. But 
for those few years where I was a metler, I was very tribal, and there were things that I couldn't like because it wasn't part of the tribe's preferences. Elitist, sort of, yeah? Yeah. You snob. I very highly recommend anybody who is familiar with that, especially with the metal stuff, to look up a YouTube clip of a comedian called Steve Hughes, where he talks about Enya. I like Steve Hughes. I like some of his comedy. I have not seen that one, though, I don't think. He starts talking about how he likes all types of metal. He likes classic metal, thrash metal, death metal, grunge metal, and... Enya. I have seen it. Yeah, people start laughing. He says, listen, if you've been listening to Slayer for eight hours a day, you need something in the afternoon to relax to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant. He's the Australian one with the long hair, isn't he? He is. Yes. He can be a little bit conspiracy theorist, but actually a lot of his points are very salient. Okay, I think we have discussed belief in depth and... Uh, To be honest, I think we could probably even cover an entire another episode on specific beliefs and things like that. But realistically, we have covered that in in a lot of detail. Now, as we said, belief is or believing something is accepting or believing it is true. So how does truth tie into that? Well, if can be true or false, and the only way to know whether it's true is to have some kind of way of measuring whether it is true or not. So we use definitions of truth to decide that, and a belief is linked to knowledge through whether or not it's true. So if you believe something is true, and there is a rational set of arguments to support why you think it's true, but there is no evidence either way, where would you go with that in the realms of truth and belief being rational or irrational or irrational? Truth is just an indicator that what somebody is saying is in accordance to reality, basically. Truth doesn't actually need to be supported to be true, so a statement could have no evidence backing it up, but still be a true statement, but the same couldn't be said for knowledge. Of course, I get that with knowledge, but when we're talking about a belief, I mean, you believe something to be true, you might have arguments, you've got no evidence either way, so that is why your belief might still be rational and still considered true, and it's true that you believe that thing, unless you don't, and for some reason you're just trying to sell products, but that's a completely different topic. But when it comes to belief, I suppose true is still a bit wishy-washy and when it comes to knowledge there needs to be a bit more of a firmer grounding if you have a rational belief that is true that is then automatically knowledge as opposed to belief though yes not necessarily it would be a justified true belief okay if i tell you that i was asleep before we came online, which is true, you would then need justification for saying that I know that he was he was asleep. You could believe I was asleep, and it, it is true that I was napping just before coming online, but you would have to have some kind of justification for saying, yes, I know this to be true. So, you know, I'm old and lazy, and I don't 
generally lie, so therefore you can accept this as knowledge, even if I can't show you empirical evidence that I was. Equally, I would argue that I don't know it. I would say I definitely believe it because of the evidence that supports it. And as you said, as far as I'm aware, and I could be completely wrong in this, but you've not lied to me. I, I know there are times when you withhold smacking me down occasionally and i thank you for being so polite you don't have to be but equally i i know that you've never outright lied to me so okay why would you lie it's also something that isn't a massive claim i had a nap and uh, as you say you know you you've said that you, you have naps i've known previous times where you've had naps we've had conversations that have suddenly stopped and you've got back to me later and said sorry i fell asleep so i know that you nap but i don't know for a fact that i've not seen it you you live far enough away that i cannot check on it i do not have definitive evidence to support the fact that you napped but i do accept and i do believe same difference that you napped yeah it comes back to what um you said at the top of the show dave about um probability it's the likelihood of you doing what you say you've done so it's obviously like what all of those uh, things that you've just outlined it's likely that he did indeed nap and why would he lie about it because he was having a wank <laughs> i would tell you i have no shame <laughs> that's true yeah there's something i'm struggling with a little bit there so if the definition of knowledge is a justified true belief we are now going over the idea of being able to justify a belief that is true but still doesn't count as knowledge so although you have a justified true belief being that the example that you had in that we still don't know so there still has to be some other qualification of knowledge which isn't included in that definition. Is this going back to the whole different ways of looking at it, though? Could it actually be that if we're speaking descriptively, as in the way it works with us, I personally need something a little bit firmer to say I know something, but actually, when it comes down to it, I sort of do know normatively either way. Or possibly it could be that going back to last week's discussion that it goes more to scepticism where we could say as sceptics we need a justified true evidenced belief. Wouldn't the evidence come under the justification though? Yeah, possibly, but you could have other justifications as well as evidenced you could have oh yeah it's the quality of justification that counts for a skeptic so realistically speaking with the, with the justification so i think pretty much all four of us on this show right now would say for us to say something is fully justified we need some form of convincing evidence but equally we know each other well enough to know within I'd say 85% of when each other's are lying or at least withholding truth. So it's in a way a justified belief that you did have that nap, but it's not convincing enough for us to say, well, actually, we definitely know that you had that nap, but we believe you had that nap. And there are justifications. There's just no empirical evidence. So the level of the claim requires the amount of evidence for us to care about the level of justification. And the claim is he had a nap. And let's face it, 
realistically, do we give a fuck? Because who we, we all have naps, do we not? Well, the other thing to think of is what sort of empirical evidence could I give you that showed that I take a nap? I mean, how many of us would record ourselves sleeping or... Well, actually, I have a watch that tells me every time I've fallen asleep, Dave, and I can give you that evidence any time you want it. I'm a poverty-stricken student that can barely afford a can of Pepsi, let alone a smartwatch. Yeah, and equally, I, I don't actually require that evidence from you. I trust you enough to go, yeah, do you know what? And equally, it's not important. Someone having a nap is completely different from someone saying there is a creator god, for example. I do not require the same level of evidence that you had a nap, and I trust you that you had a nap, than someone saying there is someone that created the Earth in six days, 6,000 years ago. Exactly. So, according to that sort of concept, you would be justified in saying that you know I took a nap. I mean, what, what more do you need in my testimony and the knowledge that I'm generally truthful, and that I'm old and lazy. <laughs> Wouldn't this be an example of an irrational belief? Uh, not necessarily, because if I was a known liar, and I told you these things, and you believed me, then you would be behaving irrationally, because you would know that I generally do not tell the truth. But you're not. Yeah, and because we know that he does generally tell the truth, we're following a rational process using that as evidence to believe him this time. And it's a small exactly. claim, so therefore it doesn't need the level of justification as something else. We can take him at his word. I think there is an element where if we go, if we say that there is almost two levels to knowledge, and if there is an ultimate level of knowledge, we need something a bit more like physical evidence as in I need to watch him sleep or I need a video of him sleeping or I need a watch to tell me that he is sleeping but realistically I trust him enough and there is enough evidence throughout our history to say do you know what I know what he's saying is true and it's such there a small be... claim why would you lie about it there will be people shouting at their podcast device at the moment with Carl Sagan's quote. I was just about to say that. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Exactly. The, the level of claim gives you the sort of level of justification that would be needed in order to be able to something knowledge. And I suppose, actually, if we think about it, if we had a guest on and they were late on and they came on and they were like, oh, sorry, it's because I had a nap, we might be less inclined to believe them than we would be you as well, Dave. Exactly. Or more inclined to be pissed off with them. Equally true. There's that too. That's why if you're going to go with scepticism or like, say, you know, the scientific method, applying that to every single thing will get you nowhere. And in some cases will stop you actually gaining knowledge. So I suppose from that element, testimony, as in your testimony, is enough to give us knowledge because it's a small claim. And... You know, I'm not under stress. I'm not under duress. I'm not. I'm not having difficulty recalling it. It's something that happened on the moment ago. I don't know. You ago. are quite old. Who? I don't know. You are quite old. When? <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, knowledge. It, I mean, even the justified true belief thing. That's only one facet of knowledge. It, it's most basic level of being able to determine whether something is knowledge. There's a whole bunch of other theories of knowledge that are far more complicated and therefore far more in-depth. I suppose there's an element of balance there. Uh, in an equational sense, 
with as Chris and and Andy were going to say with with the whole the great of the claim. So if we have on one side we have this massive claim side and we have our equation of on the other side the the evidence to support it and do you know what that evidence may be weaker evidence like testimonial evidence and testimonial evidence is weak i don't care what anyone says unless you have hundreds of people claiming the exact same thing who have not necessarily had like loads of interaction with each other so that they've got it on board like testimony is not strong evidence but you're not making a massive claim, so realistically, your testimony is enough for me, especially with my experience with you. Yeah, even with testimony being repeated by lots and lots of people, it's not necessarily a demonstration of it being true, depending on the situation where it's happening, where we look at, say, medical studies which rely on testimony of say, a new pain medication, and people go there being given pills, expecting it to treat their pain, and although I hate to use the term the placebo effect, we've had this discussion before in person, but because of them expecting to think a thing, a lot of them will say it even if it hasn't actually happened. So testimony can be influenced through lots of different ways over lots and lots and lots of people. Exactly. So testimony isn't always justification. There are times where, say, evidential justification is necessary or a more rational argument is a necessary justification. All, all that's necessary is that there is justification for believing what is true. So if I was an own liar and I told you that I had a nap before and you believed me, you wouldn't hold knowledge, would you? Because what I said was false. Well, it, it's not necessarily false, but it's not necessarily justified true belief. You're right. You wouldn't hold knowledge. You would just hold a belief. Okay. So you can hold information. Like if I, if I was to say something about a computer to somebody and they didn't understand computers in any way but they were just repeating what i said would they have knowledge or would they just have information that is a good way of putting it so are you saying that knowledge actually has a component where you need to understand it yes right so there are plenty of people i mean i i've got i've got two brothers and a sister and i was <laughs> I'm the reject of the family because I was the one that found everything really easy and rebelled against everything. And then we had my next brother down who, absolutely lovely, he had an amazing ability to study and recycle all of the information, but he didn't actually understand it. So he didn't necessarily know the information but he got good grades because he know how to study for the exams and then we have the next one down who is a year away from being a doctor and again he is very similar to me but doesn't necessarily have the rebellious and idiotic nature that I do and he again learned things that he was interested in and he couldn't just it isn't just a case of recycling the information but he fully understands and explores it more and he gets interested in the topics so 
between the three of us, we had one that was amazing at testing because he remembered the information he was taught and he could recycle the information, but he doesn't necessarily have any understanding of the topics. And if you start talking to them about him and you start going off topic in the sense that you start inquiring more about it, he goes blank and he's like, I don't really know. So as a guess, that brother, would he excel in stuff like English, history, and kind of not maybe do as well in mathematics and maybe science? Depends on the science. There are elements of science where you, you can also do that. I mean, he did that up to GCSE level. So that was still the recyclable side of science. But yes, every other assumption you made there was definitely correct. Just a guess. <laughs> and I'm guessing you're the other way. You like maths. I was amazing at maths. I'm yeah, nowhere yeah. near as good as I was. But I used to I used to piss off my teachers. I used to look at a simultaneous equation and go, uh, X is four and Y is three. And he goes, You haven't even worked it out yet. And I was like, You work it out. And he'd go, Oh yeah, you're right. And he'd go, Yeah, see, I told you. I used to do the same thing. I in maths I always got in trouble for handing in homework and not showing my workings. But I didn't have to show my workings workings i looked at it and got it <laughs> teacher's worst nightmare teacher's worst nightmare i do apologize to all of my teachers for being such a cunt <laughs> i don't i hated my maths teacher uh, oddly enough most of my maths teachers were actually brilliant it's one of the reasons i think i excelled as well i think the way i interacted with teachers actually had a proportional element of how much i gave a crap about the topic my granddad was a maths teacher which may have given me a bit of a head start lucky bastard okay so we've discussed knowledge and the justified true belief and we've sort of put it into an equation where we've gone ah okay so the claim versus the justification and actually if it's quite a weak claim then something weak like a testimony is enough to justify that belief to be true and therefore we know it to be true even if it's not a ultimate level of physical knowledge we can still accept it as knowledge and a bigger claim requires bigger evidence so testimony will not do for something extraordinary like seeing a vampire, werewolf, or god. So that's listening to a testimony, though, isn't it? Yeah. What yeah. about... Um, so uh, coming, this is coming back to... Oh, I'm coming back to rational and irrational. If you believe, truly believe, and not being dishonest, that you have witnessed a ghost... Is that an irrational belief? That's a good point. Uh, this is something I actually come back to. Um, my my fiance is she believes in ghosts. She is it's it's crazy actually. She, there's there's no element of God or any other belief there, but she's had these experiences as a child where she lived in a haunted pub and believes that ghosts exist because of it. And even through talking to me and all the rational discussions she have, now I, she has questioned herself more on it and she is a little bit more accepting that the fact that she might have been a little bit more influential at the time and the noises and all of that and half dream states, etc. But I know even without her saying so, she still believes ghosts exist because of an experience she's had. It's weird. My housemates believe in ghosts, but I've lived here for 340 years and I've never seen one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Bravo. Coming back to the question of whether believing in ghosts is rational or irrational, can you... Based on witnessing. Yeah. Um, could you absolutely prove to that person that ghosts cannot exist? Brian Cox has a wonderful piece 
about ghosts can't exist because fridges work. <laughs> it's amazing. Chris, please just explain the whole thing. I love it. Oh, man, it's a long time since I've watched the clip about it. But it's basically going along the lines of how we are essentially information processing machines. And for machines to work, there is a heat exchange, essentially. So fridges work by having a really hot thing on the back means that it draws heat from inside. So for ghosts to be able to exist and do anything or process information they'd have to be able to interact physically to be able to have a heat exchange so if they're not physical they won't be able to do that so if there's ever a time when your fridge is broken there might be a ghost (laughs) and i've completely butchered that but it is about three or four years since i've watched it actually after the podcast we managed to engage professor brian cox and he gave us permission to sample him now this is an old sample So we do apologise for the low quality, but here he is, Professor Brian Cox. Do you believe in any form of afterlife? No. No. Okay. This is thermodynamics. I don't know, I can't get over it. I just can't get around thermodynamics. Explain why thermodynamics is a good scientific reason as to why there isn't an afterlife. Well, I think so. I mean, the thing is, you need, as far as I'm concerned, um, we're information processing devices right so we're processing information at the moment yeah which requires energy it requires actually temperature difference <laughs> to do yeah. that and so we generate that by eating food converted into energy and then we there's some temperature differences right. around so we can do work right so that that's that we were a heat engine that's what we are right. heat engine and so if you stop providing the power source then you start processing information yes and that and um, then you stop. i can't get beyond that right that and sounds it, very, very convincing. Steam engines work, and fridges, fridges work. Yes. Like, fridges work by by taking Steam. heat out of the box so by having a big side. heater on the back of them. Yeah. If you ever wonder why a fridge has got a heater on the back of it, yes. which seems a weird thing to do, yes. but the temperature at the back of the fridge has got to be higher than the temperature of the kitchen yeah. in order to allow it to do work and take the right. take the heat out of the fridge. Right. And that's how it works. Yeah. And that's how we work as well. Yeah. So if there were an afterlife, I would have to reconsider the engineering design of fridges with a very critical eye and I have to get really worried thing that I don't understand the universe. I mean there's certainly a great story to be written of the physicist who wakes up and he is in heaven. It's like well, how do fridges going, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> how do fridges work then? Yeah. Cheers Bri, you're a hell of a guy. Thank you for letting us sample you and hopefully you'll let us do it again in the future too. We now return to our normal programming, continuing our look into someone experiencing seeing or hearing or feeling a ghost it's not always rational to trust your senses because our senses can be wrong so if you see a ghost it's possible that you have seen incorrectly and the best way to prove that it would be irrational would be to show that ghosts can't exist it might not necessarily be rational because your senses can fool you and we generally have this idea that ghosts don't exist, at least in the world of physics. So you could say it was irrational to believe you saw a ghost, but, you know, you would still have to prove ghosts can't exist to show that it's irrational. This goes back to what we were discussing earlier as well, of how I mentioned somebody from the old DGE group 
who believed a thing and then was given more information and realised that it was irrational. Because I remember having a ghost experience as a kid. I was in a car, we drove round a corner, there was a ghostly shape, we hit it, it went through the car and we left it. And I saw it go through the car. I believed it was a ghost because, well, I was a kid, why wouldn't I? It was the most rational explanation at the time. Having learned a lot more about how things work and whether belief in afterlifes or spirits and that kind of thing is justifiable, I now don't believe that was a ghost. I have no clue what it was, but I don't believe it's a ghost. Yeah, when you're when you're young, you you can't rationalise it in your own head. I mean, I've had oh, it's not a similar experience. I didn't crash into it in my car, but I was uh, sleeping somewhere, and uh, I kind of I woke up and I saw a ghost at the bottom of the bed. It was this Victorian lady with a big dress on, all white, floating about two foot above the uh, above the floor. Now I um I was in that state where you're kind of half asleep, half awake, and when I woke myself up properly, I could see that it was light from outside coming through behind the curtain making a similar sort of shape to that to that of a victorian woman just about two foot off the floor and i think it's part of like the human the human mind that that it wants to see faces it wants to see like human shapes so that's what it will do but in that at that point because i was in adulthood i could rationalize it with myself i woke up looked again and thought oh that's exactly what i did so half as i was waking up i saw this this thing move across and it was just a light moving behind the can. You're very much right on the whole faces thing. I, I can't remember what it's called, but there is an element where okay. humans will see faces and everything. Yeah, Chris, you can remember. Go for it. It's called pareidolia. Yeah, we can't help but see it. It's, it's one of the things why we see shapes in clouds as well, but we will see everything. You look at a coat peg and you see the face of an octopus with his fists up looking at you. I mean, it's just two screws and a fucking peg, but we see the face there looking back at us there is something that it within us that that just looks for that pattern recognition it's i suppose another form of reasoning we're induction machines as we said last week of course and if you missed last week i'd suggest going back and checking it because we cover this sort of stuff in far more detail and we sound far more secure in what we're saying <laughs> well here's another spanner to throw in the works there's also another type of knowledge there's practical knowledge Shh. You're confusing the <laughs> listeners. Well, there's knowledge of how to do something like fix a bike or fix a car or produce a podcast where those things don't necessarily, they're not necessarily true beliefs, but you do know how to do it. Is there a best way to do it, which would be a JTB? So, for example, there might be a better way to produce a podcast than I'm currently producing them right now, which would be the JTB. But actually, I know what I'm doing and I'm doing the best I can with the tools, technology and money I have. Exactly. But you still know how to do the podcast you can still put one together and make one listenable and get it out there so you have knowledge of how to do a podcast do you think that practical knowledge also requires understanding i would say yes because otherwise you're just mimicking it's another memory thing uh, otherwise isn't it like if you can change 
a brake pad on an Audi A4, you know, uh, but that's the only thing that you can change because you know exactly what to do at what point. That's that's not practical knowledge. But if you can apply what you've learned from changing that brake pad to other cars, because there's different clips, different size screws, different ways to get it, get them in and out, um, etc., then you've using your practical knowledge to apply it to a different thing. The approach I was going to go for, the example I was going to go for that, because I'm a martial arts instructor, I know how to punch hard. Now I can teach a student how to punch hard they don't require understanding which muscles work and everything like that to be able to know how to punch hard so do they have knowledge of it even though they don't understand the biological process going into it i suppose there's an element where they have to have the knowledge of the exact line that they need to punch on in the sense that there's there's got to be a perfect line to punch on for that connection they don't necessarily need the ultimate knowledge of this muscle here connects to this muscle here from these nerves here and all of that comes from these impulses from your brain there they don't need the detailed knowledge but they do need the element of how it works in the real world and actually for you to connect here you need to make sure your punch connects on these two fingers rather than trying to connect on this thumb or your outside fingers for it to actually make a optimal connection. I suppose the version of that for what we were talking about for editing a podcast would be you have to understand how the software works. You don't have to understand how to build a computer or design a processor. Exactly. Yeah, that's fair. There's a certain level of understanding that is required for it to be knowledge. The deeper the better, but it doesn't necessarily need to go too deep. You need to understand the high level of how it works, not the in-depth level how it works. Do you agree with that, Dave? I do. Realistically, when it comes down to it, none of us actually truly understand how a computer works. Can you imagine how, it, you know, looking at these binary computing machines and trying to work out how they actually fucking work and display all that porn that we see just because we've clicked a couple of buttons? Fucking hell. One of the other podcasts that I listen to called Skeptics with a K, uh, one of the hosts of that is building himself a computer and he is only building it from components that he can build himself a version of so right down to like individual logic processes that's pretty impressive i must say yeah that's very impressive i mean i build all my own computers but i build them using other people's components i think the idea is that he has to build the basics of it and know that he then understands how to do the more in-depth version and he'll put it together from there instead of every single individual piece of the thing that he's building being hand-built. And I don't know how far he's got with it, but it's an impressive undertaking nonetheless. Yeah, he needs to be hired by like AMD or Intel or somebody like that. I'm not sure what he actually does for his main job. He needs to move into computing if he can build components for a computer by hand and understand how it all works. Even I don't know how to do anything like that. Well, we don't know if it works yet, so let's just hold on to that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so not going back to knowledge, sorry. There's different types of knowledge as well, um, just to complicate the issue that little bit further. There, there's instances where knowledge doesn't have to be true, it just has to be applicable. 
Yeah, okay, so there are types of knowledge that the JTB principle doesn't actually fit into. Yeah, exactly. That That's why knowledge is a very complicated issue, and there's lots of different theories. So, I, I suppose, uh, what you were saying, so the, the, there's, there's practical knowledge, there's, uh, in general, we would say that someone has to understand something to know something, but not always. I, I feel like we're getting into an element where knowledge is... Again, another one of these nuanced subjects that it depends on what we're trying to know is if we can actually claim to have knowledge on it. The other type of knowledge, of course, is how you can know something just by being really, really, really convinced by it. And you might disagree with that. I know it in my heart to be true. <laughs> there is an awful lot of that that goes on, though. But it kind of reminds me of postmodernist approach to truth. Truth is what you believe to be true. But that's not what knowledge is. So, yeah. I, I, th again, these, these three elements are things that are quite circular and intertwined with each other. It's hard exactly. not to conflate them, isn't it? It is, simply because they are so intrinsic to each other. And that is why we end up with things like a theist saying that they know their God is real because they feel it. Yeah, and the colloquial use of no could be slightly different, I guess. You could look at it as they have confidence that it's correct, so therefore they know it. That That's a lot of the time, that's generally how people use the word no which is what i was alluding to with my joke exactly which means now you have to keep it in and not edit it out <laughs> <laughs> we've obviously had a look at the whole truth element and how it ties into belief and how belief ties into knowledge but what we haven't discussed here i know we have in other podcasts but as chris has rightly said and as much as i've jested uh, that it doesn't matter this might be the first podcast of ours that they're listening to so how does the burden of proof tie into both belief and knowledge the burden of proof is far stricter on knowledge, of course. It's better if you can show your belief to be true, but you do not necessarily have to be able to show your belief to be true in order for you to hold it. Whereas with knowledge, you have to be able to justify it as true to be able to claim that it is true. So I suppose that comes back to, as we were discussing with your nap there it's it's a justifiable knowledge claim that actually we know a lot of your attributes and it's perfectly acceptable to say that the burden of proof is fulfilled with that it would be more fulfilled if we did have that video evidence of you sleeping or your smartwatch evidence of you sleeping. But realistically, it's a small claim, so we don't necessarily need to believe it's true. And if we take that up to the extreme level that we keep coming back to, and I think it's me that keeps bringing it back to it, but shh, on the belief in a, in a god, if you simply believe in a god, the only burden of proof you might have is explaining why you believe through a rational discourse but if you tell me that you know your god definitely exists then all of a sudden i am going to require some firmer evidence of that past your weak arguments to be fair with belief as well the only justification you really need to demonstrate for it for your own 
position of believing it is that it's more comfortable to believe it than to not if a theist honestly turns around to me and says i believe in god because i'm scared of death and i want to believe there's more fine so long as they're not claiming it's true and trying to convert other people and using that belief and religion to the detriment of other people to persecute or stigmatize others if it's just a case of i believe because i get comfort from it fine you do you i completely agree and there's arguments to be made that belief in god can be a rational belief for similar reasons to that it can make life easier it can make people a better person say believing offers a sense of community that you might not find elsewhere there's a whole host of reasons to claim that belief in god is rational so long as it's not causing harm especially the comfort element as well when your your family member or friend has died and they've gone to a better place i mean that's actually quite a comforting thing and i have been to a number of funerals where i haven't stood up and gone well you know they've gone to a better place they've done this and i haven't gone no they haven't if people genuinely believe that this person has gone to a better place then do you know what let them and if that makes them feel more comfortable about death themselves, that's fine. They're not trying to impose their belief on me there. There's no reason for me to do it. Now, if they turned around and started to engage me and go, see, I don't know why you don't believe, you should believe, I'd, I'd, I'd argue with them. Because realistically, they haven't provided anything more than well it's comfortable to me that that that's why they believe but i'm not gonna prevent someone from believing something if they are not using their belief to further some negative agenda this is a point that i have as well i have very good personal friend lives local to me and she is very religious she's about to go into ministry college and she is one of the kindest most genuine and most liberal people that i know she would never ever ever use her faith to denigrate or persecute other people i will comfortably challenge her on her religion i will not challenge her on her faith that's a very good way the religion is a thing which has harm in it that has things to be discussed to be debated her faith isn't that for me it's a point for her to get comfort from and that she's not ever going to do harm with and i don't need to try and take that from her and realistically speaking there is no harm by someone believing in a god or many gods it's only when they come to the point where they go well my god says that we should stone homosexuals and treat women like shit and own people as slaves that is the point that it gets right okay no the other thing as well is a quote i like which i may have stolen and may have come up with i do not remember but it's if you say my religion says i can't do this that's fine if your religion says my religion says you can't do this then we've got a fight on our hands yeah no i've heard many different versions of that particular quote and equally i don't know where it first came up it's one of those things that i'm sure that i have said before seeing the memes on the internet as well and you're right chris people can believe and act the way they want as long as they're not hurting anyone else but the second they tell you you're not allowed to do a certain thing because of their belief especially if it's not really a jtb then you 
You know what? Them's fighting. Do one. Yeah, fighting words. I agree. It's imposing beliefs that you can't justify or show to be actual knowledge is pretty damn dangerous in occasion, um, especially when it can lead to more fanatical sort of behavior. So I suppose we've covered the, the difference between the burden of proof on, say, a belief and knowledge. And it's one of the things that I wish when speaking with theists they would realize because if they were to say that they believed it was true but they didn't know it was true i wouldn't have an argument with them because actually i don't argue with those sorts of theists because there's no real point if they believe something is true generally there is no way i am going to convince them of any other way of thinking but if they tell me they know it's true i go well what's your evidence and it comes back to really weak undemonstrable arguments and i get really really wound up with those i i, I don't know about you guys but if, if a theist is telling me they know something is true i want some credible demonstrable arguments i tend to want to just have fun with them to be fair <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know you do like your trolling, but actually, on the on the subject of trolling, you're actually one of those delightful trolls who, instead of going in and just trying your best to wind someone up, you do it in a very clever way where you make it amusing for everyone. Thank you very much. <laughs> you just ask the exact. I was going to say the exact right question, but technically, it's the exact wrong question that makes it the exact right question one day i'll get you doing the acrostics i think i did a few but i'm i'm not i'm not very good with things like that well it's writing things down andy and i know you struggle with writing yeah it's terrible <laughs> just a couple of lines smart ass comments you know and you do those couple of lines amazingly well but yeah, yeah, Chris, he can't do more than two lines. Honestly, he gets way too buzzy and trips out. Too true. If you get it to four lines, you can do a very basic across it. You can do some very good words with four lines. Yes, exactly. And you could have a night off your tits on four lines too. <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean. <laughs> And that is exactly what we mean by your one-two liners that work really well. Okay, so I, I actually think that we're at a point where we have discussed beliefs, uh, how they can be rational, irrational, or irrational. And I think in general, most beliefs fit into the rational or irrational element there there aren't actually many that can be considered a rational and that there's knowledge and knowledge generally fits in the whole justified true belief and needs an element of understanding but you can know how to do something without fully understanding all the under processes and that truth is again how something fits into reality we have covered again the burden of proof and how it affects belief and knowledge and i think that that's something we need to actually cover quite frequently because it is something that people just don't seem to get is there anything else that we could tie in though today the only other thing i can think of surrounding beliefs that i have talked about extensively this might open up a can of worms but I, I think we're probably all on the same page with this one is can you choose your beliefs no 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 good we are all on the same page then i'm glad we got cleared that up <laughs> i've actually written an article about that on the main Answers in Reason website, entitled, Is Atheism a Choice? And the answer is no, it's a conclusion based on the overwhelming lack of evidence and a number of 
of other things. It's something that comes up in the debate groups fairly often, though, is the whole, well, you just have to choose to believe that Jesus is the saviour. And my answer always is, okay, well, if you can honestly spend the next week choosing to believe in spider-man then i'll give it a go and that's completely valid and it's it's one of those crazy things and they say yeah you make the choice not to believe you're making the choice to go to hell no i'm, I'm not all i need is you to provide me some credible evidence of your claim some cr- credible convincing evidence that will make me go oh you know what i'm wrong and then do you know what my choice has been removed because all of a sudden you've actually provided something of substance and I can't help myself but to suddenly believe what you say. The only thing that I would add as a slight caveat is, I mean, beliefs are ultimately something that you're convinced by. You can make a choice to seek things that will convince you, but that's not the same thing as choosing to believe. No, definitely not. It's more of a a conclusion based on on the evidence you've got or what you've seen. You're searching for confirmation bias, essentially. You may want to believe a particular proposition and you only look for things that support that proposition. So you could argue that that is your choice to believe, but realistically speaking, eh. You can also say you believe and you're just being dishonest as well, which I I know there's probably many theists that do that. They just want to fit in with the rest of their community. Uh, They don't want to be the person to uh, contradict everything that's been said. They just kind of go along with it. So I think we we are definitely all in agreement there then that you can't necessarily choose to believe. You can choose what you learn to enhance your belief. And I suppose that's part of the relationship of belief and knowledge. Like people often see a belief as being under a knowledge, but actually they can influence each other. You can have a couple of bits of knowledge that make you believe something that then makes you have you know think that this and then you investigate and then you have greater knowledge is not quite as one-way street as people might see it i i get that knowledge is definitely firmer but knowledge can influence a belief and there are people especially skeptics that will not believe something unless it is knowledge as well yeah you hear that quite a lot where people say i don't want to just believe i want to know and 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 i think that's that's fair is is it not i mean i i would genuinely like to know one way or another if there was an afterlife or a deity i've not seen any supporting evidence nothing credible nothing convincing for any of the thousands of gods that have been claimed to exist. I will admit that I cannot claim ultimate knowledge on that, but the fact that there is an overwhelming lack of evidence leads me to believe that there are no gods in existence. I think that it can be reduced to smaller levels than that as well. Saying I don't want to believe, I want to know is a perfectly fair position to hold. Saying you want to is fine. Actually having it as a position to do so, I think, is untenable. Like we were discussing before about the problem of induction, and I believe that that bridge won't fall down when I cross it. Now, people would probably say that they know that that bridge isn't going to fall down, but they don't. 
yeah, you're right. You can't know until it's happening and then done. And then you can't know for the next time because actually so many things can be going on with said bridge. Uh, there could be in between you crossing it and it being fine to the next time you're doing it, a really, really overweighted lorry with tons of cargo uh, goes over it, weakens the structural integrity to a point where actually the next thing that goes over it is going to cause it to collapse. Exactly, which is why I think that it's a fair goal to have or a fair dream to say I'd like to know everything and not believe anything. But ultimately, I don't think it's possible to actually live one's life in that way. But could we say that that was, if I say I know that bridge is not going to collapse, would that fit the parameters of a justified true belief? It's only true after the fact not when you're making a claim as knowledge to start with. So technically we could say that the, the, the belief is definitely rational and justified and based on evidence, but actually it's it. there's no way it can be knowledge until after the fact. That sounds like a Dave question. <laughs> Why me? Because <laughs> you're the smart one. I don't buy that for one moment. <laughs> okay, you're the one that can blag that you're smart better than the rest of us. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, it comes back to the problem of induction. You can never know that the bridge isn't going to collapse when you step on it. So it's never true to say that there's a 100% chance that bridge will not collapse. So, like Chris says, it doesn't become true until after you cross it that the bridge hasn't collapsed. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Schrodinger's bridge. <laughs> that holds true for a surprising amount of things. We're at a point where we've almost gone through the entire knowledge, belief and truth to a point where without going to an extreme level where it's almost ridiculous to discuss within the show without giving it its own show, we've sort of got there. I don't know if there's anything else that you guys want to add. There is a couple of things about truth that are worth bringing up in yeah? that. Yeah, I... Like, you'll see faulty claims made about truth, like you've got the postmodern version of truth, which is truth is whatever somebody believes to be true. It's more of a descriptive term of a descriptive way of how truth is used. So somebody believes something is truth, so therefore it is truth to them. But in a normative sense, that would be wrong. No, uh, I get that. That's the same in the same way that some people say that you know, God exists because he exists in the mind of people. Therefore, that is a form of existence. But actually, that's not necessarily, as you say, a normative sense of existence. That is a form of existence that is not real existence. It's, again, a convoluted subject. It's a deliberate and courageous conflation of terms. It's a technical loophole. Yeah, basically. It's, it's a category error basically, if you're depending on how you're looking at it. Another mistake I often see as well is people claiming that there is subjective truth and there is objective truth. There is no such thing as subjective truth and objective truth. All truth is objective. Are you certain about that in the sense that I know that I like this music 
And that is true. But Chris might go, well, no, I don't like that music. And that is also true. That's th- that's two different claims, though, isn't it? Exactly. One of them, yeah. they're both still true. It would only be the same claim if you said, you like that type of music. And I said, no, you don't. Hold on. So I experienced that quite a lot with my parents growing up. I would say, I really like this music. And my mum would go, no, you don't. And I'd go, oh, okay, then. <laughs> Or with me telling my eldest when he was young that green fruit pastels are his favourite because none of the rest of us liked them. And he believed me for years. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Another mistake I often see made when it comes to truth is I see, and I see this from skeptics and atheists mostly, truth is verifiable. If it can't be verified, then it's not truth, which is not true something is true whether it can be verified or not we might have good reason to not accept it as true but even without evidence a statement is true so long as it is an accurate description of what it's trying to describe wait do people actually say that yep you'd be surprised how many i come across in debate groups that argue that so if we people are genuinely claiming that if it isn't verifiable then it isn't true they're saying that well, before Pluto was discovered, it's not true that it existed. It comes to something like that, and that that highlights the weakness of that actual argument. So before Pluto was discovered, if somebody said, oh, I know that there's a, say, maybe not I know, but somebody says there is a planet in the furthest reaches of the solar system that we have not discovered yet, that argument would say, well, no, what they're saying isn't true. Whereas now we would say that it isn't true because Pluto isn't a planet. I was going to say that, but I thought I'd leave it. But recently it's been reclassified as a planet. It's, a minor it? it's dwarf in planet and or out. And, and yeah, I know. It's in a planet, it's out of planet. I mean, do you know what? Well, it's going to send up. In, yeah. <laughs> it all goes round, but it still fits into my, the mnemonic that I know. And so it is a fucking planet in my head. But yeah, I mean, it will always be true that it's there until it's not there. But even if we couldn't verify it, it would still be true that it, it's there at the moment. So it, it's a particularly weak argument to say that unless it's verifiable, it's not true. Is that not people conflating knowledge and truth? For example, if you say, I know Pluto is there, you should be able to demonstrate it is there. But if you say, well, Pluto's out there or there's another planet out there, that could be true or false, but you've just got no way of verifying it. It's the hypothesis before the uh, before it's proven, isn't it? Exactly. It doesn't make it any less true. You know, you go, yeah, I think there's more planets within our solar system. We just can't see them yet, but I think they're out there. That doesn't make it untrue. It doesn't make it false. It's actually still true. We just haven't seen them yet. But actually, if you say, I know it's true, well, then all of a sudden you should have evidence to have that knowledge claim for it to be justified. Such as, I believe there is extraterrestrial life somewhere in the universe of some description, but I would never claim to know it. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy, actually, to considering how massive the universe is and to think that we could be the only life, or at least the only planet with life in it. That's, that's insane. It's massively arrogant. Oh, of course it is. And it generally comes down to the religious belief that we are the centre of the universe. I agree. It's In the case of truth, claims like that, it's taking empiricism or scepticism or the scientific method to an almost ideological level, where you won't accept thing unless it, there's verification of it, blah, 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 blah. 
but that that's just not how truth works. No, and I suppose that's one of the problems with ideologies, and I suppose that is how some people can take either their theism or atheism to an ideological level. Level. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's good sense to not accept certain claims without verification, obviously, but they wouldn't make it any more true with the verification. It just makes it more acceptable more reasonable to believe yeah exactly there's a difference between something being true and us having good reason to accept it as true if that makes sense absolutely and equally knowing something is true believing something is true knowing something is true and something actually being true exactly that that's why they're all separated out even though they're so caught up it's like holistic in how they're caught up with each other but they are separate issues and there is distinctions to them for reasons like that. So yeah, those are just some of the arguments I've seen made about truth that I think people really do need to stop using. Is is there a particular fallacy for that? I mean, I think it'd be fantastic if we could actually go, ah, yeah, you're on the truth wagon fallacy. Um, I'm not sure. Let, let's write it, right? You know, when someone is saying truth has to be verified, when it doesn't, let's make it up. Let's let's have it here right now. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we have a way to make ourselves known. The 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 truth reason fallacy. Argumentum ad dividian. Ooh, I got my name in it. And I can't. I can't even claim it's my name. It's a fucking machine head song. Is that where it comes from? Yeah. Oh, I thought your middle names were David Ian. <laughs> Genuinely, so did I. No, it was um, it was the evil character I used to use in video games. I used to have two. I used to have Jarrell and Davidian, and Davidian was the evil character that was trying really hard to be good, but just occasionally killed people for shits and giggles. Yeah, my name on here is the gamer tag I've had since I was about twelve. But you are you are my dark gift, Chris. Why? Thank you. But Dave, honestly, why trolley, Dave? Because I used to be a trolley collector. Oh, it's not to do with the trolley problem. No, you're the second person to say that now. Um, but no, it's not to do with that. It's I used to be a trolley collector for about eight years. I am so disappointed. <laughs> yeah, so am I now. When you say a trolley collector, you mean like supermarket trolleys? Yeah, I used to work in an Arndale centre, picking up the loose trolleys and taking them back to like Sa uh, Sainsbury's and Marks and Spencer's and stuff. That That makes a lot more sense. Well, you know how there's like a, a British tradition of giving somebody a nickname that's to do with their job? It's basically that. Yeah, like Jim Gardner, etc. Yeah, basically. Before this, I used to go by the handle Suicidal Tendencies based off the band, like back in the hacking days. Oh, yeah. But I've gone with Trolley Dave now because it's a nickname and everybody recognises it when I, you know, like if I send them an invite to a forum or something. I'm quite glad we've moved away from the nicknames being related to professions. I'm not sure it'd go down well online for me to be Woman Puncher Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the last thing I think that we need to cover this week 
is I know in the first couple of weeks we um, had a segment called Stupid Comment of the Week and we haven't done that recently. Now, part of that reason is I had the best intentions with that topic. It was supposed to be humorous. Ah, ha, ha. This is a silly comment. But actually, it's seemed to be more of the mockery sense and that's not what we were going for it was pointed out to me that actually you know we're, we're making fun of someone we're naming and shaming them and realistically that's not what I was going for I was going for the humorous element and alluding to a fallacious argument of some kind and we can learn from those mistakes that other people make and I definitely think we can however I don't think we should necessarily be quite as direct so moving forward instead of stupid comment of the week we're going to have fallacy of the week now the fallacy of the week is going to be either an actual fallacy or incredibly weak argument or definition used to explain a position and hopefully it's going to be related to the topic. Welcome to Fallacy of the Week where we provide a fallacy or erroneous argument we've seen in debate online. A fallacy is a failure in reasoning which renders an argument invalid. It does not necessarily mean the conclusion is wrong, just that your position requires more investigation and your argument needs to be presented in a more sound way to become rational. Now, of this week's topic of belief, knowledge and truth, we have a mistaken argument made by someone online. Dave, would you like to take this away for us? Okay, yeah, there's, there was a guy in a debate group who came in very arrogant, very sure of himself, arguing that he held no beliefs which is of course impossible and his argument for it was that belief is linked to religious claims and only to religious claims and that's just faulty thinking i guess you could say it's a fallacy of definition but that's not quite correct a guilt by association fallacy yeah that that that's a, probably a more accurate one yeah essentially his only definition of belief was something that you accept as true without evidence and he had evidence so therefore he accepted it's true with evidence therefore he didn't believe but he did accept the evidence which was ridiculous and when you inquire further of going well so do you believe the evidence is true and he's like, no, I accept it as true. So you don't believe it. When you start phrasing it that way, you, you sort of see how erroneous the argument is. The way it comes down to that fallacy specifically is that the only reason that he's not using the term belief is because he associates it with religious belief and belief in the supernatural. Whereas, as we've discussed today, belief can be about anything rational or not and the only reason he's disregarding that word is because of its association with things that he doesn't want to be associated with and his regard of every form of religious belief being completely irrational yeah and the major problem with it of course is once he was presented with evidence that he was using the term incorrectly and that it wasn't just associated with religious belief instead of changing his mind 
he doubled down and moved the goalposts, saying that, well, we should just stop using the term rather than simply saying, you know, okay, my mistake, I actually do hold beliefs. Yeah, and, and equally, if he decided that he was going to phrase everything in a different way and not use the term belief, that's fine. You can use your vocabulary every w which way, as long as it's accurate, I guess. Simply saying that he doesn't believe is wrong, but choosing to say, I accept the evidence, isn't actually wrong. It means the same as I believe the evidence is true, but if you choose to say, I accept the evidence as true, that's fine. You don't have to use these words that you don't like, but equally accept the fact that if someone turns around to you and says the fact that you accept it as true means that you believe it's true is the same thing, that they're probably right. Yeah, and another thing that made it kind of worse is that in his own argument, he says all I needed to do is be presented with evidence to show I'm wrong and I'll change my mind. That is a standard rhetoric of your average skeptic slash atheist. All of us say all we need is some credible evidence and quite often you present them with evidence or a convincing argument or ask some questions that should lead them down a certain way and they double down and all of a sudden you realise, ah, you're not really a skeptic, are you? You send them a link and all they do is read the headline. Oh, headline culture. Or attack the uh, website that it's coming from. Yeah, which would be a genetic fallacy. Yeah. I love I... the fact that he, <laughs> he's, this individual has said um, that <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't believe anything, but he actually does believe that um, beliefs are linked with, uh, with the religious thing. I think that's quite, that's quite amusing to me. Oh, no, he accepts it. Yeah, there's a, there's a word for that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think in his case, it's just somebody wanting to sound really clever and enlightened. I think that's the case with a lot of people, is it not? On the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we said earlier that we, we've, a uh, few of us have been through that stage of where we uh, just, like, <laughs> what did we say? It was your fundamental atheist, where you just disregard what other people say if, they, if they're a theist. And yeah, I'll, I'll admit I've been through that, but um, yeah. It's more effort to achieve less and it's just not worth it it's also another um example of a semantics argument yeah i think the way i actually left it with that guy i, I mean i joined in after i uh, noticed dave chatting with him because i initially found it kind of amusing and i said there's nothing wrong with expressing yourself in different ways but saying you don't believe anything is just wrong even if you believe it's right perfect well i think we're there i think we've uh discussed thoroughly the elements of belief knowledge and truth and i think we've done a fairly good job as well actually i've thoroughly enjoyed tonight's conversation i have as well yeah definitely and and long may these conversations continue i'm i'm still going oh where are we going with next week there's there's so many different topics that we can cover and and next week is actually the last one of the season so it's it's doubly exciting i mean are we just going to do a summary of every topic we've covered so far are we going to do something different are we going to do a prelude to the next uh, season I, I just don't know how about doing an episode dedicated to reason and rationality that sounds far too reasonable 
Well, I think that's been absolutely fantastic. It's been a wonderful show tonight, discussing beliefs, truth and knowledge on episode 5 of Fresh Air. And next week, we're probably going to try and be reasonably drunk. Cheers. Excellent. Right, everyone, thank you very much for your attendance tonight. It's been absolutely fantastic. You've been listening to episode 5 of Fresh Air. I'm Joe. I'm Dave. I'm Chris. And I'm Andy. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, all. <laughs>